Blake, you took the words out of my mouth, brother. Um, those who are executive and budget committee, everyone who's uh, behind us and for us in this church, thank you all so much for everything you've done, you know, since we've been here especially, but uh, seeing everybody come together and, and group together to see that there's a bigger, bigger vision at Hickory Grove and that you have been bought in uh, 110%. And so thank you all for being for us, uh, behind us, and being for this church and behind this church since you've been here. Um, thank you all very much. If you have your Bibles or your favorite app ready, it is, we will be in John 10, the 10th chapter of John this morning. We'll be in verses 11 through 18. Fourth gospel in the New Testament. If you found your spot, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's word? Again, this is verses 11 through 18. May you hear the word of Christ this morning. I am the good shepherd, Jesus continued. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But supposing there's a hired servant who isn't himself the shepherd and who doesn't himself own the sheep. He will see the wolf coming and leave the sheep and run away. Then the wolf will snatch the sheep and scatter them. He'll run away because he's only a hired servant and doesn't care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep too, which don't belong to the sheepfold. I must bring them too, and they will hear my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. That's why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I can take it up again. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to receive it back again. This is the command I received from my Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning, for us to be able to gather together as your church, to be able to see the work and the ministry that is being done day in and day out, week in and week out, and month in and month out. And Father, we thank you for the gifts and the talents that have been given to us so that we can see each other and be able to push one another and say, you are so gifted in this area. Continue this work that Christ has given you. And as we receive your word day, excuse me, week in and week out, may we continue to rest in you, the one who is our good shepherd. And Lord, may you speak to your sheep this morning. May you speak and give them comfort so that we might be a people who are obedient in your ways when we leave from this place to be able to manifest and exalt your kingdom. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Homemaker and home, uh, good housekeeping. Remember them? Or at least good housekeeping, as far as I know, is still in print, but... Uh, homemaker, as far as I can tell, is not. How many of you, I just, I'm curious, how many of you had, you know, your mothers or grandmothers who had those magazines around the house? Do you remember? Yeah? Yeah. I, I remember some, of course, mainly on the shelves. I think, Mom, you might have had good housekeeping around the house every once in a while. But I remember 
good housekeeping there on the aisle right before you're checking out or somewhere on the magazine rack at some point. Homemaker, if I can go to the first one, magazine sold itself as the Practical How to Do It Monthly magazine. It was original DIY magazine of its day. The Do It Yourself magazine. And nearly every cover, and I went through the entire archive and I flipped one after the other of all of these covers of Homemaker, and this is what you found. Nearly every single one featured a husband and a wife working together to make the house a home. It was really incredible to see, and there was different scenes that would take place, but it was a home with a husband and a wife, and they were working together to make the house a home, hence its title, Homemaker. Good housekeeping uh, is a little bit broader in its goals. If you flip through the archives and you see decade after decade, it has slight differences and slightly different aims than when it was originally created. But for the most part, it's not just about cooking and cleaning. It's about hot topics. It's about uh, organizing as well as how to take care of yourself by sleeping, personal care, and so on. There's a number, a range of topics that you can find in good housekeeping. Regardless of which magazine we were to pick up today, though, they have uh, two, both of them have goals with the role of housekeeping and home care. Did you hear that? They're both aimed at housekeeping and home care. And today's sermon doesn't really remove itself very far from those very same aims and goals of both of those magazines because I'm convinced the more I read the scriptures, especially the New Testament, the church is built by Christ. It is established by Christ. It is organized by Christ. And it is enriched by Christ to offer care for not just this home, but the homes of others as well. And so the questions that I want to explore this morning as I read through John 10 in the past week and a half, these questions popped into mind. First, what does it mean for us to be cared for by our Good Shepherd? You should ask that every week, by the way. How am I being cared for by my Good Shepherd? How are the ways in which God is taking care for you in the smallest and the biggest of ways? Second, what does hospitable care look like for the church, Christ's own sheep? What does this care look like in our own lives, specifically hospitable care? And third, how can the church practice care today as an act of Christian hospitality? Let me remind you, in the September, month of September, we are looking at this topic of hospitality. And today I want you to keep in mind those two things, hospitality and care, side by side, not really as so distinct and separate from one another, but think of it as a hyphen that connects the two, hospitable care. So let's look at the passage that we have in front of us. Notice how Jesus continually uh, refers to himself in this passage. See how he does that? As the good shepherd. And look at this adjective, good, as it's related to how Jesus describes himself. And we have to really look in the details to see how Jesus is referring to himself as the good shepherd and why he is referring to us as the good shepherd. Uh, good shepherd. 
because we keep seeing this phrase pop up again and again, and he keeps repeating it uh, five times in seven verses. In fact, he says this, I am the good shepherd. Why? Because I lay my life down for the sheep. That occurs five times in these seven verses. And obviously he wanted uh, his people in his day to understand, and we ourselves, that laying down his life was really about dying, about sacrificing himself for the others. Yet it's not just a laying down of his life, but it's a laying down of his life for his sheep. Sometimes we forget that part of it. We just talk about Jesus' death. But we need to add that for Jesus' death for his church. In Jesus' day, shepherd was a very earthy metaphor for God. You find it, of course, in Psalm 23. And sheep would have been a very common metaphor in Jesus' day for the people of God. And so as you can easily see that he's using this metaphor not only to speak about himself, but the people around him as the sheep of God. But we might not have thought of that part of the hired servant. You see how he picks that up? You notice the hired servant, the one who is come to work and to tend to the sheep. But what happens when a wolf comes? What does the hired servant do? Gone. Think Wiley Coyote. Really fast, out of there as quick as he can. Because this kind of person who is a hired servant isn't there truly to care for and to tend to and to love the sheep well. And when he speaks about the hired servant, he is actually passive, aggressively, we might say, be referring to the teachers, scribes, and priests of his day. Pretty bold, right? This is one of the reasons why I love Jesus, because here is he, he, he's calling out publicly the false shepherds to their face and to the people who are around him. Are you paying attention to these hired servants around you, church? Are you paying attention to these hired servants around you, people? Because they are not truly here for you and behind you. And we essentially, what he's essentially saying is that when calamity comes, when there are powers to be in force, and they come and they continue to provide chaos to the people and to the, uh, the, the place around them, these bad fortunes will actually reveal who the real shepherd is. They will flee as hired servants, but the true shepherd stays. Because as he says in his own words in verse 13, he, the hired servant, will see the wolf coming and leave the sheep and run quickly away. Well, why? It's pretty simple because there's little to no relationship that the hired servant has with sheep. He's merely there for the wages. He's there to, not to protect and to care for and lay down his life for the sheep when the wolf comes. He's there for money. The hired servant is nothing but an expendable character in the story. You can get rid of him because he's invaluable and he's not really needed because he truly doesn't connect to the sheep and he's not there to offer the type of protection that they need. They are, as hired servants, nothing but hired there to serve a temporary purpose. But what about this good shepherd? Because this is a bold statement to say that they're the hired servants, but he is the good shepherd. 
There's no wonder why when he says these types of things in front of hundreds of people that they want to put him to death. Right? I mean, he says these bold claims, calling them out for what they're not doing and how they're not truly tending to the people and to the hearts of the people. And that is one of the very reasons why they continue to gather together to try to put him to death. Church, our hospitable care is to have an aim. It is to have purpose. We aren't to just give care for care's sake, but there must be a purpose behind it because that's exactly what Jesus does. He cares for people with a purpose. He doesn't give just the blind sight. He doesn't just make the crippled walk or the ears of the deaf hear, and that's it. In nearly every encounter, he performs these things and many more to direct their eyes, to direct their legs and direct their ears to the Father. What is it that the Father has done? He has done something glorious. Now the crippled can walk and skip and joy. Now go and tell everyone what the Father has done. He performs these things. And he delivers this type of care with purpose. And this is what we would say largely what a hospital does to this day. It is a space for care, for treatments. It is there for remedies and well-being. Yeah, there's other purposes, of course, with hospitals. Uh, But for the most part, this is the type of care they have purpose for and beyond just health care. It is a well-being that they are aimed after. And our homes, I would submit, are supposed to be like little hospitals. And this home as the church is to be a hospital. It is a place for care, for treatment, for remedy, and for well-being. Because we realize that as human beings, we're not just physical creatures. We're mental creatures. We're physical creatures. We're spiritual creatures that we need all types of care in order for us to be truly made whole as Christ has promised to make us whole. And so as the church, we need to be clear that full and complete kind of mental and physical well-being, it might not always come on this side of heaven. Did you hear me? (coughs) The type of physical, mental, and spiritual well-being that we long for might not come on this side of heaven. It might come when we are resurrected before our King. That is when we will see that true and full and complete kind of well-being that Christ has originally created us for. You might have heard this saying before. Many times, whether it's from church people or from our own mouths, I've said it before. We need to care for people's spiritual lives, not their physical lives, because that's what Jesus did. Let me say it one more time. We need to care for people's spiritual lives, not their physical lives, because that's what Jesus did. Now, let me say this. It sounds spiritual. It sounds like it has good intentions, and in fact, it very well might. But Jesus did both. He didn't care for just people's spiritual dimension of life. He cared for their physical dimension of life as well. Sometimes he cared physically for people to meet their spiritual needs. Did you see that? He would care for their physical needs in order to meet their spiritual needs. And then sometimes he would flip it. He would sometimes meet their spiritual needs in order to see their physical longing, their physical needs as well. 
So it's, let's not be naive about the type of care that we are to offer as Christ church. We can't just give a spiritual type of care. We see this many times throughout the scripture that we aren't supposed to just say, hey, go and love the Lord your God and not give anything to feed a person. It is a feeding and a loving of this person in the ways of Christ. We must meet both spiritual and physical components of human beings because that's who we are. We're both. It's not an either or. As friends and family or strangers enter our homes and enter our lives, we see that sometimes we need to steward them in the very physical needs that they have. That is completely great. That is fantastic. Continue that work. And other times when they enter our homes, we might need to be able to tend to them and their spiritual needs. Because as we continue to grow together as a church and become more homogenous, we become more whole as a church and we begin these relationships with one another, we're going to see that sometimes a person, a friend in the church comes into our home and they just need somebody to cry on. We don't preach to them. We love them best we can to meet their physical needs. And sometimes that person might come into our home, be in complete spiritual doubt and exhausted spiritually. That's the time where we remind them of the good things of Christ. To build and encourage and equip them to continue on the path that Christ has for them. Yet how do we live this kind of care and how do we practice it as the church? As the good shepherd guarded and protected his flock to the very end, so should we. As the good shepherd fought the wolves and tried, that tried to devour his sheep, so should we. As the good shepherd loves his sheep with infinite love, so should our love be. And as the good shepherd was willing to lay down his life for his sheep, we also should be willing to do the same. You see, church... Christian care and hospitality that we find in the scriptures, it protects. It fights, it loves, and it sacrifices itself for those who need the good shepherd the most. And this type of Christian care, it isn't just reactive, it's also proactive as well. Allow me to illustrate I recently heard, uh, read an NPR article this past week, and by the way, let me just go and throw it to you. Um, it's dealing with fire lookouts. Uh, it was just released, I think, September 19th. Go read it, because it is a fantastic piece. But as I was reading through uh, this article about fire lookouts, and let me remind you, fire lookouts are the, the, the places where they're built and they look out over valleys and mountains and the like. And they usually have one person in these fire lookouts just to make sure that they can see the full spread and territory and know when a fire is about to hit or about to ravage a land. These fire lookouts, the article said, became federal policy uh, in what followed after the big blow up of 1910, which I had no clue what this was, but the article gave more detail. These were a series of wildfires that tore across Idaho, Montana, and Washington, killing at least 85 individuals and sending smoke as far as New England. And from then on, the government considers these forest fires as a national threat to American citizens, American wildlife, and even the nation's overall well-being. 
And so nearly 250 lookouts were built in the next two years after this 1910 crisis. And thousands more followed. And by the 1950s, there were more than 5,000 permanent fire lookouts spread across the nation. But now, lookout towers across the country are being torn down. Uh, they're left to decay, or even in some cases, they're turned into rental properties. But to date, those once 5,000, there are only 300 remaining that are active, that are still manned, and a lot of them were manned by volunteers. So as I read this article about fire lookouts, two lines in the entire article stood out to me, and here they are. The best way to stop a fire is to catch it early. Lookouts were the instrument of choice, and it was in that moment it dawned on me that the Christian care that is marked by the church is a very similar way of life. Whatever lightning strikes and whatever is set ablaze in people's lives, the best thing the church can do is to catch it early. We're not just reactive, but hopefully, Lord willing, we're proactive in this as well. I do believe that the church, especially Hickory Grove, can be God's instrument of choice to demonstrate Christ's revealing and healing love through reactive and proactive care for the lost, the lonely, the weak, and especially the hungry sheep that are amongst us, not only here but beyond. So how can we be the type of people that Christ has called us to be, ones who are looking for, fighting for, loving and sacrificing on behalf of the sheep that are in need of the care of our good shepherd? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. We thank you for being the good shepherd to us. And sometimes, at least in my own life, I know that I downplay that you are a shepherd towards us. That you are there beside us as a good shepherd would be. You are there for us as a good shepherd would be. You're there in front of us as a good shepherd would be to protect us. And Lord, you're always there and in some sense underneath us. So humble to be below us in order to serve us. And so as we think on this this week, this role of the good shepherd, may we imitate and we emulate your own character in our lives, that we would be uh, little good shepherds for other people who need the type of care that you tend to, the type of love that you offer. And so we, may we really marinate and really chew on what this sermon is about and what these verses are about in John 10, that we would lean into you as our good shepherd. And may we emulate that life to the best of our ability for our children, for our grandchildren, for our employees, for our friends and our neighbors. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that we can be able to minister to people, to serve people that you have set right in front of us. And let us not be, be naive. You have set your church toward a mission, and may we continue to understand that a part of our mission 
is to go into our world to proclaim that Christ is King. And may we minister to those needs in our community, the physical, the spiritual, the mental. And may we do this in a way that it is glorifying and it is an exaltation of your name. Lord, we offer these things in your son's name. Amen.